Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bouncing Back where we talk all things personal resilience. I am your host Joanna and today we will be discussing the idea of life purpose and more specifically finding meaning in adversity and how life purpose enhances our resilience. So today I'm joined by Slayman Abu Hamdan who is a clinical psychologist and life coach. Hi Slayman, how are you today? Fantastic, how are you Joanna? I'm great, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? with a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Slayman. I'm a clinical and performance psychologist. So what that means is I'm able to help people understand who they are, develop the skills that they need in life to flourish and thrive, no matter where they are in their life. So that's one thing that you know I love doing. That's my purpose. Yeah, amazing. And mm. what inspired you to take this career path? I guess I've been through so much uh, trauma growing up in the civil war, just asking the question, why does this happen? Why do people do this to one another? Then, um, you know, getting into more difficulty, uh, migrating to Australia as a teenager, also, you know, getting into a lot of social disconnection and, and pressure. And so I've made it my purpose to understand uh, human motivation and how do we grow from adversity. And in a way, by uh, understanding it myself, I'm then able to explain it to others, help others understand themselves, and in a way, get out of their way so they can thrive. And that's what I love doing. Uh, just this morning, I did the exact same thing. I was having a session with a manager, and I had this fantastic feeling where she asked the question, and then I just held the space for her, asking the curious questions. And then she ended up finding that answer herself. Mm. And it just lights me up how people are able to do that with the right level of professional support. So I've dedicated the last 20 years or so to develop those skills, to enable that in others. And by enabling that in others, it gives me purpose. So yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And it's great to hear that you're passionate about what you do, which is also really great. And um, I would just love to get to know you a bit more. So we've got some get to know our guest questions. Um, you can say the first thing that pops into your mind um, when you hear these words. So do you have like a favorite book or recommendation? Favorite book? I usually have about four or five books on the go at the same time. Wow. So at the moment, I'm loving uh, No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz, where it tells us that it's, um, you know, life is about understanding all of yourself and not 
being critical at your different parts or being critical at yourself too much because it's not very helpful. I love Daniel Goleman's book on emotional intelligence because that's something I specialize in. Um, I love ACT therapy. So ACT Made Simple is a, is a lovely one. And I've been delving a lot into Johan Hari at the moment where he talks about social disconnection as a major risk factor for depression and anxiety. Mm. And, you know, I'd like to talk more about that as well later on on how we create the skills to connect authentically and humanistically. So that's what I've been reading lately. Wow, that is a wide array of books. <laughs> it so is. it's very impressive. But no, that sounds really great if we can talk more about like social disconnection later on. So I'm looking forward to that. And in terms of movies, is that something you're into? I'll have to go with the it's a toss up between Matrix and Avatar. Okay. Um, yeah. So it'll probably be the Matrix, when uh, you know you understand the system and understand your role in the system, and being able to um, differentiate yourself from the system and understand yourself better, so um, and get out of that autopilot. Uh, so yeah, Matrix. Yeah. Wow. I personally haven't watched The Matrix, so I'm biased to Avatar. Wow. Um, Yeah, I feel like I really need to get onto that one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, After hearing you say that, I definitely will. (laughs) Um, And podcasts, we're on one, so it's fitting to ask you if you listen to podcasts at all. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to podcasts, yeah. so I lean towards the the brain science podcast mm. uh, by Dr. Campbell. She talks a lot about neuroscience um, and also the Huberman's lab, so that talks about neuroscience. I love getting deep in the science, neuroscience and social science, so they're probably my two favourites. Yeah, what part of like neuroscience interests you? So how do we leverage neuroscience to enable people to understand themselves better mm. and enable people to develop the skills uh, better, so, such as distraction management, uh, such as assessing a person's predispositions to anxiety or depression, uh, such as getting in the right brain states to optimise your ability to get into flow So we know that by getting into the right state, you're able to set yourself up for success for that next task that you're about to do. So for example, if you're about to have a meeting, you want to get into the right brain state and the physiological state to optimize your connection with the people in the meeting and also share your opinions in the meeting. So we are leveraging neuroscience and the physiology of the person to enable that optimal collaboration. Yeah. Uh, often we find people detaching in, in meetings, not expressing their opinions or ideas, uh, which is a real shame. There's a, there's a saying, you know, the most expensive real estate in the world is a cemetery because it's full of dead ideas, you know, not being shared. So, you know, if you, if, if people find themselves holding back in meetings, this is an opportunity to develop those skills to contribute more. And you never know where that could take someone that can create ripple effects. So that's how we leverage neuroscience and, and psychology to enable that collaboration, for example. 
Yeah, awesome. I think it's important to have an understanding of terms like neuroscience as well, which could help you understand what you're going through. So true. Yeah, so that's really awesome. And lastly, do you have a famous role model at all? I know this one's a bit of a tricky question for some people, but it could be anyone in your life as well. It is a tricky question. I mean, um, you know, I value the role of my sister. She's a brain science, a brain surgeon. So she's uh, done so many things to enable people. She saves lives all the time. Um, You know, every leader has their qualities that are like, you know, like Steve Jobs and Dalai Lama or Mahatma Gandhi or um, uh, who else? Yeah, I'll, I'll take bits of those qualities from those different leaders and try to incorporate them and model them myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do love that. I feel like I'm the same when it comes to like a famous role model. I don't think I have just one, but I have like qualities and bits of like different people in my life and, you know, famous people that I like to put together. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really amazing. Um, Thank you for answering those ones. I think we can jump straight into our interview questions now. And our first question for you is why is resilience important in our life? such an important question and I want to give it the due respect uh, in answering it. Um, Resilience, if you want to define resilience, I think it's about having the psychological and emotional flexibility to learn from situations. Uh, It does include the ability to bounce back, uh, but Bouncing back should not be at the expense of learning. Um, For example, I've worked with clients who felt that they were very resilient, but because they kept pedaling harder and harder and didn't give themselves opportunity to reflect on what's happening, understand the adversity that they are experiencing, understand what life was trying to show them, they burnt out. So I think we need to integrate the term resilience with psychological flexibility in being not subject to an identity that we're holding on to. So, for example, um, I need to be triumphant in every situation. Or, for example, I can never be selfish. If we hold on too strongly to those subjective identities, we miss out on the learning that life is presenting us. Yeah. So that's my philosophy of resilience is that psychological flexibility, self-awareness, self-regulation and learning from the opportunities. Um, You know, Viktor Frankl said it nicely in uh, Man's Search for Meaning. He said, between stimulus and response is a a space and it's your decision what to do with that space. What will you do between something happening and you acting? Mm. That's your power. Yeah. That's your decision. Um, So it's taking those opportunities and... You know, we, we cannot take advantage of the learning if we are in a reactive mode. 
Okay. Yeah. So there's a difference between being resilient and then there's also just trying to work towards the end goal, but not like treating it as a learning process. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why the work of Dr. Carol Dweck has been so uh, spread in the last 10 or 15 years about growth mindset. It's understanding, you know, what's the growth from this opportunity? What's the learning? Mm. Um, so that I think it's all coming together as humanity. There's a lot of uh, enlightenment happening. So it's, it's, it's a positive, um, positive thing, I think, that we're experiencing. Yeah, for sure. How does yeah. someone though go about like, okay, something happens to them and they want to move past it to that like end state, I guess, of, you know, having gone through it. How do they like learn to go through that learning process and like actually take something from that space you were talking about? I think the question is important there. How do they go through it to get to the end state? I see it as the process of resilience. Yes, we do want the goal in mind and goal setting theory has been around for decades and decades and it does work. And at the same time, you wanna be present and reflective and learning in the present moment. So it's not an either or, it's an and. So your question is how do we make sense of the situation, be resilient to serve a purpose. It's, it's about slowing down and it's about regulating to a level that you're able to receive that insight, to receive that learning. Um, if we are over driven, if we are in what we call the sympathetic nervous system response there's too much adrenaline too much cortisol happening we're not able to fully engage the frontal lobe for that reflective practice to understand the situation so for example um, i had a session recently and uh, the manager was worried about taking a day off she was thinking that if she took the day off from work, she would be seen as, insert negative term here, right? So in order for her to learn from the situation, she needed to press pause, get on the balcony, metaphorically speaking, and reflect on what's happening. So by doing that, then she was able to find the learning in that and she had the transformational insight just this morning um, about the learning and how she's showing up in the meetings. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And yeah. before you mentioned this idea of being reactive once something happens, what's bad about that? Yeah. So in leadership development work, we talk about a leader being either reactive or creative or proactive. And this is a work of uh, Dr. Bob Anderson uh, as a reference. And so a reactive tendency is something like an autopilot. It's us being unconsciously reactive without knowing. So for example, uh, someone can be reactive in picking up their phone as soon as they sit on the couch. Mm -hmm. 
or they could be reactive in uh, putting their head down into the laptop when they get to work. Um, They could be reactive in speaking up very loudly in meetings without knowing. Now, all those things have shadow strengths, right? So distraction management is okay to a healthy level. Second example, um, someone having a private space could be helpful at the healthy level. Someone expressing their opinion assertively in meetings is helpful at a healthy level. But if we are reactive and over-leveraging those strengths, then it can be a disadvantage to our learning and a disadvantage to connecting with others. Mm. So this is what we mean by reactive and we want to go from being unconsciously reactive to being consciously reactive yeah yeah and then the next step is being consciously released through the deliberate practices that we teach that i coach through Mm. so that's the process yeah yeah definitely sounds like a complex process but also I guess that's what comes with facing adversity at the same time definitely um so that's very interesting and to you what does it mean to find meaning in adversity the meaning making process is so important especially if you want to experience growth through adversity Uh, I did research in my master's thesis on post-traumatic growth and career derailment. And we studied the lived experience of executives who experienced burnout. So how did that make make sense and make meaning from the experience? And we found that those who were able to slow down and make meaning from what happened were in a better position to grow from the adversity. Mm. And those who kept peddling harder and harder found it difficult to learn from the adversity. And some ended up burning out and suffering severe depression. So the meaning making process is so important to experience and I coach people all the time in developing the skills to enable them to make meaning from what's happening. Uh, And that's such an important skill that anyone can create and develop. Yeah, for sure. And when you say slow down, what do you mean? And like, how does someone go about slowing down? That's an interesting question as well, because I run a lot of leadership programs and the number of times the managers and the leaders say to me, Slay, you're telling us to slow down, but there's so many things to do. Uh, I give them the example of the Dalai Lama once he, um, he meditated for an hour in the morning and then he looked at his schedule and he said, goodness, I'm so busy today. There's so many decisions to make. I better meditate for another hour. (laughs) I love that. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. So the mantra that I learned from the military, from this hardcore corporal in a different context, but he said, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So by slowing down and being present, 
getting into the right zone of being, you become smoother. And smoother means more present, more aware of other people's experiences, so therefore better at empathizing with them, better at decision-making, so the blood is flowing nicely through the brain. You're better able to remember past experiences and ex and um, you leverage them into the present moment. And by being smooth, then you get fast. Then you're able to be more productive and more connected. So that's what I mean by slowing down, being able to be, for example, to be present, to have this authentic alignment with yourself, uh, to be able to connect with others on that humanistic level. There's some of the examples of what it means to slow down. Yeah. And what if like slowing down is something people fear because, you know, they have more time to overthink or stress like the adverse like situation that they've been through? The coach in me says, uh, great opportunity for learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that, right? Yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> Um, people don't really get taught how to be in their heads in a, in a, in a helpful way. Mm, yeah. Um, how to be bored and how to sit with their feelings and process their feelings. Now, thankfully, it's being taught more in the schools. So my primary uh, school age son he's learning about resilience and mindfulness so it's fantastic um, so when people struggle being within themselves understanding their thoughts and feelings it's a great opportunity to understand themselves better right mm -hmm. the distress of the anxiety which I've suffered, you know, for 40 years of my life until only recently that I've been able to manage it in a very effective way. So if someone is reactive and not wanting to be in their body, then they might engage in unhelpful behavior that's not aligned with their values or their purpose. And that can lead to maladaptive behavior and destructive behavior and they're not surfacing their full strengths so we know how to enable people to develop the self-regulation and self-awareness skills to be in their body to be in their mind more so they can understand the catastrophizing part for example or they can understand the imposter syndrome that they're trying to get away from or distract from, or they're trying to or understand what they truly need mm -hmm. in this particular moment. So I always say, face your fear and your fear will either disappear or you learn something. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it. And what are some like skills that people could use to be better at being in their head? Well, mindfulness is a 
is a common one. So mindfulness and acceptance of thoughts and feelings. It's a Buddhist tradition that's been around for, for at least 5,000 years. Um, so mindfulness is being aware of your thoughts and experiences and in the present moment, as many uh, of your listeners and yourself would know. Um, so practicing mindfulness daily will enable you to go from being subject to those thoughts and ruminating thoughts to being object to them, to understand them. Ronald Heifetz uh, talks about it in adaptive leadership where you get on the balcony and understand those, those reactivities in order to learn from them. So that's one practice that many, many people are you know, practicing right now, yeah. mindfulness. Um, Self-regulation, I think it's key. Uh, I think state and self-regulation comes before strategy. Um, Einstein once said if he had one hour to solve a problem that would save his life, he would spend 55 minutes on figuring out what the problem is and then five minutes to solve it. So self-regulation is so important in order to understand the context that you're in, understand the situation and your intention from the situation. So there couple of things. I mean, the list goes on on how to yeah. regulate through that. Um, back to the the model that I mentioned previously about understanding all your parts. Sometimes it's about understanding your catastrophizing, ruminating part um, and what that part is trying to tell you. All of our parts, all of your parts, everyone's parts have a function. So the worried thoughts need to be heard as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And yeah. just in terms of like the adversities, what are some other like more common adversities that people might go through beyond like corporate ones, for instance? Um, adversity is subjective. Um, so... Social disconnection is, is an adversity where someone feels that they're alone, that they don't belong. And um, to the brain, it's the same reaction as putting your hand on a hot plate. Mm. That's the sort of pain that we get from social disconnection. Uh, so that's a significant adversity that people feel, um, that fe people experience. Um, and unfortunately, racism feeds into that as well. So, um, you know, I myself migrating as a as a young teenager didn't belong, didn't feel like I belonged into that high school that I was in. So that's significant adversity and social disconnection. Um, other adversities is um, you know childhood trauma that people experience and it's all subjective. Uh, it can be verbal or physical. Um, and that is, this is about understanding the meaning someone makes from that adversity. And that's what um, a good psychologist or counselor will enable people to process. Mm. Um, adversity could be career derailment. Um, where someone believes that they were on the right track and then 
as a surprise to them. They don't get promoted. They don't achieve what they need to achieve and they get into the um, not good enough story and and failure story. Adversity can be the loss of loved one, for example, um, and how people reconcile with that and how they grieve through that. Um, So adversity is a continuum from, uh, you know, the traumatic and the... um, catastrophic um, all the way to the less intense however we need to understand that even if it looks less intense to us to that person experiencing the adversity it's a lot to them yeah so we should never judge someone on their reaction to the adversity you know we need to make space for them to be heard Yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of the time someone might be going through something and they're describing how hard it is for them. And you being on the outside, you're like, oh, yeah, I get that's hard. But I also don't see why you're struggling this much. You know, so perspective is very important. So true. And asking those questions, Mm -hmm. open questions and making space for that person to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. So it's great we brought that one up. And um, can you share some examples of how individuals have found a sense of purpose or meaning during challenging times? Yeah, definitely. I um, I can share a recent one where a, um, a senior manager that I was coaching, still am coaching, um, he found his purpose and he found a way to channel his internal motivation. Previously, what was happening is that he was externally driven. So someone who's externally driven, we call that extrinsic motivation, where someone would feel good about an achievement when they get acknowledged for it. Or when they succeed in something and then they would be happy. Often this is fleeting and it's short in duration. Um, You've heard of people or maybe you've experienced it yourself or the listener where, you know, you accomplish something and it's on to the next one. Mm. Um, You saw the Mona Lisa, took a few photos, okay, and on to the next one. So it's the... It's this kind of reactive tendencies that we tend to go into. Um, So he was able to understand that part of him that was reactive and then make space for that part and gain the learning from that part. And his transformation was understanding that He wanted to channel the servant type of leader. So he went from extrinsically motivated to achieve, to get the accolades, to being more of a servant leader, to coach others, to enable others flourishing. And by doing so, he was feeling good about supporting others. So that's a significant transformation. There was... um, There was one, uh, as I mentioned this morning, um, where the the manager was able to 
understand, just mindful of um, the identifying everything. Um, so the manager was able to understand her reactivity in putting others first. And once again, it's, this was a strength that was over leveraged. Mm. When we get into, when someone gets into the self-sacrifice approval seeking mode, um, there's a high risk of burnout because you're doing so many things to others and not understanding what you need and what you intend and what your purpose and values are so much. You're externally driven. So until someone is aware of that, there will remain, unfortunately, in what we talked about before, in this unconscious reactivity. Um, so then she was able to make that reactivity conscious and then through the deliberate practices that we set for her she was able to be consciously reactive and consciously released from that reactivity and that is a significant transformation that um, people go through and yeah. it's 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 delightful to be able to see that it's just wonderful yeah, amazing. And I know notice that you mentioned this idea of like that's done now on to the next one. How do people overcome that mindset and like avoid burnout? There's so many ways that people can overcome that. I think first it's raising their awareness that it is happening and it is causing them some sort of consequence. Um if it's, if it's affecting your functioning, if it's affecting your relationship, if it's affecting your ability to thrive, then we need to pick up those early signs and the earlier the better, so to speak. Um, it's a bit like hearing a train coming before the train arrives. You know, life always gives us these early signs sometimes cracks that start to appear. And I think life will keep pushing us around until we understand that, you know, it's time to act. And then the next thing is about finding the right side of support to enable that person to understand themselves and prevent that burnout from happening. Um, takes takes more effort to in to assist someone after the burnout that's happened i mean obviously it's possible it's just that if we can get in early and learn from it the trajectory of growth will continue to ascend um, rather than the alternative so self-awareness i think is really important in terms of understanding uh, burnout and then putting in the right strategies in place. So the daily practices that someone needs to do to um, cultivate the, the skills of self-awareness, self-regulation, uh, resilience practices, um, overcoming challenges and developing the particular skills that they need to traverse this part of their, what they call the hero's journey, right? Mm. And life has got multiple heroes journeys that we progress through 
Yeah, for sure. Mm. And you mentioned like on the lines of awareness, how can we discuss like the role of self-reflection and introspection in uncovering one's life purpose and its relation to resilience? Self-awareness and self-reflection, introspection, they're such important processes. Yeah. And it goes back to what I was saying, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So by making space for self-reflection, introspection, so looking inwards, understanding your thoughts, understanding your feelings, understanding your physiological sensations, because you know, we know that the body remembers and the body keeps the score. So, you know, what's the sensation that you're feeling? And these are all cues that we get to learn from the situation. If we turn the blind eye to it, then we're not understanding and we're not learning from it. Um, so mindfulness is one way of self-reflection, uh, understanding, you know, your thoughts, your beliefs, um, what you think about a person, what the situation demands of you, what are you distracting from, what are you leaning into, so by processing the situation through meditation, through journaling, through a simple one minute restful breathing practice throughout the day mm. to help you understand yourself better. And self-awareness, it's a bit like the scientific method. And the scientific method, you keep running hypotheses and the more hypotheses you run, the more learning you get, the more insights and truth you get. Yeah. Similar thing with self-awareness. The more you practice it, the more you know about yourself. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And do you think we could use like spiritual support as well, you know, from personal spiritual beliefs or community or religion to help this process? Yeah, absolutely. So many people gain from spiritual support, community support, um, it's that social resilience part, right? It's uh, feeling supported. Uh, matter of fact, we are wired to connect with a community. Um, when you're under stress, the brain is producing cortisol and at the same time, it's producing oxytocin, which is the mend and befriend neurochemical. So under stress, we are wired for connection and spiritual connection and spiritual support, be it, you know, from a community. Um, spirituality can mean many things to many people. It could mean living your values. It could mean uh, living a life of kindness and support. Uh, it could mean uh, aligning with what Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, talked about the universal consciousness. Um, so tapping into that universal energy. Um, so it means so many things to different people and it can range from religiosity all the way to spirituality. Yeah. And it's understanding where you are on that continuum and what you need at that particular moment. Yeah, and I think sometimes it can be hard to, like, identify what we do need in a moment, especially if, like, something has just happened and we're trying to figure out 
what to do or like where to go from now or how we can just overcome it straight away so we can reach that end goal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's a lovely comment in that find out what you need. Yeah. Like what do you need in this particular moment? Do you need love? Do you need uh, to connect with someone? Uh, do you need freedom? You feel uh, oppressed metaphorically or actually. Uh, do, you f do you need to express yourself? Do you feel like you've been holding back and there's a bit of choking and oh, I'm gonna express myself, I wanna, you know, let it out. Or do you need just to have some fun and play? So yeah, through that self-reflection, then you'll know what you need. Then you're able to have that need met in a helpful way. Yeah. Yeah. It goes like that. The stages. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And are there any like potential barriers or obstacles that individuals might encounter while they're, you know, seeking meaning in adversity? Yeah. And those, those barriers I've been able to categorize into three behaviors. And, um, if the listeners want to understand themselves better, I will give them the link later on about how to take this assessment. So one of the barriers is when we try to over control the situation, we get into this fighter mode. And that is often based on a belief that life is made up of winners and losers, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the winner and not look like someone who's failed. And it's this unconscious story mm. that gets shaped early on in our life. Yeah. yeah. So that's one barrier to um, understanding yourself and developing. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, there's a healthy level of that. It's, it's great to be driven. As a matter of fact, there's a neural pathway in the brain for seeking. So, you know, we are seeking beings we seek adventure we seek learning it's part of our dna right the second category as a barrier that hold people back is when we detach from the vulnerability mm. uh, when we hold back and procrastinate because we don't have the skill to lean into the discomfort of vulnerability yeah yeah and the problem with that is that people don't get to know the real us because we've got the wall up due to often valid experiences in life, uh, we find it hard to fulfill our purpose and understand ourselves. So that's the second category, that detacher mode that we talk about. The third category as a barrier is the approval seeking or the complier mode. Mm -hmm. yeah? So whenever we get into that, we are subjugating our needs to other people's needs. We're putting other people's first. And that's not to say that's a bad thing. It's just that if we over-index that strength, what tends to happen? We don't have our needs met. Yeah. And we tend to feel hostile towards ourselves sometimes for not having our needs met mm. when we contributed to that situation and I myself had a very strong approval seeking comply mode 
And it was only after I was able to, you know, get my coaching, go through therapy myself to understand myself better, seek the support to understand the function of that blocker. So if the listeners would like to understand where they tend to go is simply going to slayman.thinkific.com and they can complete that self-awareness survey to understand is there a blocker that's getting in the way of thriving for myself and how can I be curious about that Mm. in this um, self-compassionate, self-kindness kind of way. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for sharing that. I'm sure I definitely might even try that. Who knows? Um, And in terms of like evaluating what you need, is it wise to do that immediately after something difficult or challenging has happened to you? Or do you think that we need more time before we can process what we actually need? Ideally in the moment. So for example, I'm sitting here having a lovely conversation with you. Um, Kind of through a cycle of self-awareness understanding what do I need do I need to express myself more do I need more freedom do I feel love do I need more love Um, is this rigid or am I having fun and spontaneity how can I shift myself in the moment and maybe the body is giving me cue to say actually you're feeling a bit stiff why don't you move around a bit okay that feels a bit better so in the moment it's fantastic Okay, yeah. Often we don't have time to do it in the moment though. So this is where retrospective reflection is very important through journaling, through taking the time after the situation to learn from it and then revisit it um, and taking action. That's so important. Um, Yeah, sometimes we might not be able to have our needs met in the moment, but we'll do it afterwards. So if you feel a lack of love in a situation, you will seek out a friend or a partner or a family member afterwards to have that need fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And what if for some people like fulfilling their needs are out of their control? You know, like, for example, I don't know, you're seeking more love or something in your life, but, you know, friends or a partner or whoever is out of reach. Like, how do you take control over that instead of feeling like you have no control? I'm not sure about out of reach. Yeah. That's a continuum as well. Um, They want to ask themselves, is it truly out of reach? And... Love is not only obviously intimate love, there's, you know, obviously platonic love, um, deep authentic love, uh, love to your friend, love to your family member, love to your colleague, it's different mm. um, energies. It's it's oh. all love in a way, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my advice and suggestion is asking, is it really out of reach? Or is that a perception for me that I need to look into? If it is truly out of reach and someone is in a situation in dire straits and 
you know, I'm talking dire straits in a kind of military setting, for example, then self-love is very possible um, because the moment that you feel love for someone, you are creating that in your heart. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it as well. Yeah. So self-love is, is quite a powerful process and you do channel, you do connect with the universal consciousness also through love. Mm. And that's one way to, a very powerful way to connect spiritually and also with the universal consciousness through love. So, you know, that's why we work with a lot of people on developing their emotional intelligence and inviting love in. Um, I use the metaphor of, let's say you want to invite some people over for dinner. And one of the guests is love, right? If you yeah. don't have a seat for love to sit at, at your dinner table, where are they going to sit? Yeah. All right. So by making space for love within you, that can be felt and created. I hope I hope the audience and the listeners got that point. It's quite an important one. Yeah, no, I definitely yeah. think so. And I think that's a really great way of putting it as well to try and understand it. Like you have to make space for the things you want in your life. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like striking a balance between pursuing life purpose and managing other responsibilities, how can people go about that? Pursuing life purpose and managing other responsibilities. So my understanding of that is they may be seen as exclusive. Yeah, yeah. I think they're exclusive until they're not. Mm. I'm being a bit cheeky here, but... Um, Obligations can be seen as values-aligned behaviours. Yeah. Let's say your obligation is to drive a friend to an event, for example. You felt that you were obliged to do that. If someone thinks that I have to do that or should do that, then that's not very, it's not perceived as a values aligned behavior. You feel like it's imposed on you. Yeah. If you flip it into, I'm choosing to take my friend, this is my intent, and I'm going to actually have a chat with them in the car about something that I've been holding back, then isn't that a values aligned behavior that's no longer an obligation that's more purposeful? Yeah. Sometimes it's a simple mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the more we practice this self-reflection and understanding what our values are, what's most important for us, the more we align with our why, with our purpose. Yeah. So anytime you feel, oh, I have to do this, it's an obligation to do this, just check in for a moment to say, is this a values aligned behavior that I'm uh, ambivalent of or not aware of? And how can I see this as a intrinsically driven values aligned behavior? 
Yeah, for sure. I know it's simplifying things, but sometimes we've got to simplify a complex mm. uh, phenomenon to apply the learning. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I feel like when you're in that situation, it's too complex to the point you don't even know what to do. So simplifying it down is definitely a way to go. Yeah. And then apply the learning. Mm. You know, it's nice to be an info gatherer, but you want to be an info applicator, so to speak. You want to apply this learning. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I can relate to that as well. Sometimes there are situations where you're gathering so much information after something's happened, you're taking all these things in, but you're not actually applying the information. So it's just like an influx, but no way of releasing what you've just taken in as well. Yeah. There's a lovely hack that, you know, people use. It's the counting down. I think Mel Robbins talks about it. There's the, you know, if you think about something you want to do, mm and you've got this urge to do it and its values align, just count down from five. Just go five, four, three, two, one, then do it. Yeah. It's yeah. a nice way to activate that energy. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a great way to put it and also links back to this idea of mindset that you were talking about. Yeah, so that's really amazing. And I think we can jump into our next section now, which is our practices um, debrief section. So here we're just going to expand a bit upon what we've been talking about. I'm going to ask you how you apply some of these in your everyday life. So personally, so what is a practice that you do to enhance your resilience through life purpose? So every morning I wake up early before everyone else. Um, I go downstairs, I open the blinds, I sit on a chair and I meditate. I use mindfulness type of meditation to reflect on my dreams, reflect on my thinking, understand my emotions and understand what my body's telling me. So it's those different categories of awareness, mental awareness, what am I thinking, what's the stories, what's the visions, what's the dreams that I had, for example. Emotional awareness, how am I feeling? The stock standard is, you know, sad, mad, glad. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, thousands of variations of that. Um, yeah. Acceptance, contentment, apprehension, fear, anger, worry. And then what is my body telling me? So understanding what's the sensation that are flowing through your body? What's the, I mean, the body is such an intelligent entity. I mean, it can heal itself, right? It can yeah. heal wounds. And so understanding myself in the morning through the somatic or the physiological awareness will help me attend to what my body needs later on. Yeah. If I am noticing like a sore back, okay, it's time to do some yoga, you know, extend the yoga practice afterwards. Yeah. So that's the first thing I do, mindfulness. Second thing is practice the three gratitudes. You know, what are three things that I appreciate in my life? Um, as simple as having a pillow to sleep on. Um, you know, and I contrast that with growing up in a civil war and, you know, running from one shelter to another. And so 
anchoring and ref, you know contrasting things is quite important as well yeah so three things that you're grateful for and then visualize your day how do you want to create your day if your day is a blank canvas what do you want it to be like yeah if life is a projection of our internal stories and if we do actually manifest what we think and what we want to create, then what do you want your day to be like? And for that, I use the I am enough practice. And I've just posted it recently on LinkedIn. I gave people the 21 day challenge, the I am enough 21 day challenge. So I then visualize my day having these interactions with people on an equal level, mm. not better than them, not worse than them on an equal level. Yeah. As I am enough right and the brain doesn't recognize or doesn't differentiate whether you're imagining something or you're actually doing it it's the same brain processes that happen so in a way you are habituating yourself to interacting with people the way you want to interact through visualization and imagery how good is that yeah and so that's my morning morning practice and then I'll go to the gym and do a workout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Very productive in the morning. Yeah. I love that. I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like you're doing very well. Thank um, you. Are there any challenges to doing this practice or staying true to it? Yeah. If I stay up too late and watch Netflix, that probably derails my morning meditation and <laughs> not waking up too early. Yeah. Um, so with that, it's, it's developing this skill of going to bed on time because there is something important for me to do in the morning. And, you know, there are many ways that we teach people to enable them to sleep and get a full night's sleep, quality sleep, uh, rather than you know, being on the phone, the last thing they do before they close their eyes, because, you know, what's the brain gonna do? It's gonna ruminate and try to process, you know, the multiple, TikTok or Insta kind of videos that you've just watched. So yeah. you're not kind of setting yourself up for the best sleep. So, um, you know, that can derail my morning meditation. So if that happens, then I will go back to the basics, go back to the foundations and, and understand what's making me want to watch Netflix the night before. What need wasn't met during the day that I need to watch Netflix to get that need met? Is it certainty? Am I feeling anxious that I need to process some situations or speak to someone, which is the helpful way of resolving this, this stressor? Does that make sense? So, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a function to everything. Please don't kind of be critical at yourself, be punitive at yourself. Just see it in a curious, empathic kind of way. And that's where the learning comes. If we tense and we're critical at ourselves, it's it's hard to be expansive and, and learning and present. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And how does how do these practices help your resilience or your perception in life? Um, first one is vitality and clarity. Yeah. Um, by understanding and reflecting on what's important, 
the values, your values, what's most important for you. Um, it gives you a sense of clarity and also confidence. And we know that the more you align with your values, the more vitality you're going to feel. Mm. For example, if someone is aligning with the value of community, they're going to feel vitality after they catch up with their with their peers and their friends. Yeah. Um, if they avoid having social connections, meaningful social connections, they're not aligning with their value, they're not going to have as much vitality, for example. So values-aligned behaviours create that sense of clarity and vitality. And also strengths. Strengths are so important. Uh, understanding what your top five strengths are. Uh, mine is love. <laughs> no surprise there. Yeah. Um, you know, aligning with that gives me vitality. So approaching conversations through a sense of, you know, platonic love and connection Um sets me up for collaboration and connections during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing your personal experience with that. Pleasure. Um, let's get into some of our questions from the audience now. So I've got a couple here for you. And the first one is how can individuals align their newfound sense of purpose with their existing values to create, you know, a meaningful path forward? Can they align their purpose with their existing values? I think values and purpose would correlate and align nicely. The way I see it is values are like your compass and purpose is your why. So my purpose is think like millions of other people's purpose is being the change I want to see in the world, right? So yeah. my purpose is to enable others to flourish and thrive. Mm -hmm. So the values through which I enable that is learning, uh, love, courage, truth, honesty. So they align, right? Yeah. So if you feel and you think that there's a disconnect between values and purpose, I think it's an opportunity for curious self-reflection in terms of what's making them incongruent. Mm. Yeah. And just, you know, curiously ask yourself, what are my values? Are they my values or my family's values? Have I, is it time for me to let go of my subjective identity and step into my values is it um, my values or the workplace's values and how do I cultivate and understand my values and you'll find that I think you'll have more alignment once you do that practice between your values and your purpose yeah. In my humble opinion, that's that's what how I see it. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people do struggle to align value with purpose. And I, f I think it's because sometimes people aren't clear on what their values are and how that can contribute to like what they're doing in life and how they're supposed to move forward. 
Yeah, and values change. Mm. They change over, you know, life periods. Yeah. We have different values at 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. Yeah. And it's it's great. We continue learning and rediscover ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of leads into the next question, which is can adversity sometimes lead to a reevaluation of one's values and goals? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I see that over and over. Um, often people, after significant adversity, value time spent with family so much more. They feel that they are, they have more clarity about what's most important for them. And they say, wow, I've been spending so much time at work or doing that. And what I really want to do is spend quality time with my family or my partner or my friends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely um, it enables us better clarity. Um, or it can enable us confirmation of our current value, which is also great. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. do you think the path to finding meaning is one that happens organically? Or do you think we need to take all these steps to get there? Definitely the, the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the saying? Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Mm. <laughs> so it's the deliberate practice that we embed in our daily habits that enable us to continue to evolve as as a human being as a team as a community as society yeah. yeah yeah and i think like one of like the biggest challenges is that ability to embed practices because i feel like a lot of the time things happen to people and they're like i want to change this but they're not actually willing to put in the effort into those steps or stages to get to that point willing or able Mm, yeah. You know, they may not have the skills. I mean, intention is great. And then the next step is about developing the skills that you need to apply that mm. intention and value. Yeah, another stage. <laughs> another stage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like I said previously, we go from unconsciously reactive to being consciously reactive. And this is a transformational stage to go from being unconscious, from being consciously reactive to being consciously released. That takes deliberate practice, right? Mm, it's, yeah. Okay, what's the one thing that I want to work on? Is it to be more assertive? Is it to be more kind to myself? Is it to be more productive? Is it to be more outspoken? And that's what you work on to go from being consciously reactive to being consciously released through this deliberate practice. You know, Bruce Lee once said, knowing is not enough, you must do. Willing is not enough, you must act. Yeah. It's this third part, which is the reconnect part, the action-taking part that's so important. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for sharing that with us. I feel like reinforcing the stages is so important because we can get so out of our head about like what we actually need to do. So really honing in on the idea of there are steps and you actually need to do the steps to get to 
the place you want to be. So true. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us as well. Pleasure. And this now leads into our open mic section. So here you just have the opportunity to chat about anything you would like, anything you're passionate about. And yeah, the floor is yours. Wonderful. I'm so passionate about this topic. Um, and this is about helping people reclaim their energy, reclaim their mindset. Um, there are currently billions of dollars being invested um, into advertising and marketing and technology. And unfortunately, many of that is being used in an unethical kind of way. And I believe that it is making it easy for people to, you know, get into addiction modes or habituation mode or autopilot mode. And I think we have a duty to enable people to understand if they are getting into that autopilot mode and make an informed decision whether they want to go down that kind of autopilot reactivity or reclaim their energy and make informed decisions to align with their values and and purpose. Yeah. And Johan Hari says it so nicely when he talks about disconnection is a major risk for depression and anxiety and suicidality and addiction. Mm. And in a world that we are so connected, the, the mind finds it hard to fathom how can we be so disconnected uh, we are one of the most isolated society in history where even though we are so connected, we often feel disconnected. So I think there's a strong need to develop the skills of social connection, collaboration, distraction management and empowered decision making so people can reclaim that energy that's been, I think, hijacked. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the way we do that is um, through a framework that I've integrated through different practices such as clinical psychology and positive psychology and corporate psychology where we talk about the R3 framework. First, you want to develop the skill to regulate, to recharge, to authentically align with your true self. Yeah. Then you want to release the fear that's holding you back from finding the learning. And then the third R is about reconnecting, reconnecting with your values, reconnecting with your purpose and reconnecting with others. And if listeners want to find more about that, they can find that framework in slayman.thinkific.com that will help them go through that journey of self-awareness and self-discovery. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned about like this idea of disconnection, it's I feel like there's so many ways to disconnect these days. There's social media, there's technology, and sometimes it's easier to disconnect than it is to find strategies to connect. So, yeah, I think that that plays a big role in how a lot of us often feel disconnected, even though we are so connected to everything around us. So true. Yeah. 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 It's wired within us. Mm, exactly. It's the oxytocin. We're, we're 
as a matter of fact, the brain, when an idol, you know what your brain goes into thinking about? Social relationships, social connections. Mm. So the brain has hedged its bets that whenever there's an idle moment, you're sitting back, you got nothing to do, your thoughts tend to go to social thinking because that's the biggest return on investment in terms of survival of the species. How cool is that? Yeah, that's So we really are wired. Yeah, we're wired for connection. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so interesting. Even like perhaps in like introverted people who might like to avoid connection, that's something that's still apparent. Yeah, do it your way. Do it the introverted way. Yeah. One-on-one. Yeah. In a quiet place. Yeah, In definitely. nature. Yeah, there's always... Uh, I often tell my little uh, nine-year-old, for every problem, there's a solution. And I hope that's true. Yeah. No, I'd like to believe that is true as well. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't like to come across a problem that I can't solve. Lovely. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. And that also brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you so much for coming into the studio. And it was really great chatting to you about this topic. It's such a massive topic. And I think we've only just scratched the surface. And if we had hours to talk about this, we genuinely could. Uh, so thank you for that. And for people who want to find out more about you, where can they go? Definitely. They can go to slayman.thinkific.com or slayman.com.au. That's S-L-A-Y-M-A-N. Beautiful. And we also have Slayman's details in the description below. So to everyone listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And we will see you guys next time. You've been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pr.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.